0: the eternal one the holy one from the beginning of time from before there ever was time your Alpha Omega beginning to end God our minds can't even wrap around that sense that you've always been and that you never change thank you Lord that we can trust you in Jesus name we pray Amen. Hey, go ahead and have a seat. Welcome, welcome, welcome to North Point. Oh no, tablet's off. Oh, we're good. Hey, um,. Uh, Chris mentioned this early. Let, let me just highlight it again. This Saturday, there, there's a really cool opportunity. It involves some sacrifice. It involves a drive down to southern Michigan to help with Crossroads Farm painting their barn, um, spending a couple hours doing that, three hours or whatever, and then driving back. I just want to encourage you. Um, it's a neat way to serve. It's something that you can probably do as a family if you don't have real little guys, and um, and it will make a huge difference uh, in a place in our state for kids that um, that don't have lots of opportunities to be a part of uh, big kingdom stuff. And so, if you're able to do that, stop and see um, uh, Denise and Bill uh, out afterwards. Uh, you know, um, this week marks the one-year anniversary of me coming to serve at North Point. Uh, thank you. That was all my family that clapped, just so you know. Um, you know, in, in lots of ways, I still feel absolutely brand new. Like I'm still finding my way through this whole process a year later. And in other ways, I feel like North Point has really become home for us. DeWitt is our home. It's been, uh, in many ways, I feel like we've, we've been here forever, which is a, a, just a really, really cool thing. Who would have thought... A year ago that I would be preaching a message on the anniversary of my starting here at North Point with the title LGBT, the conversation everyone and no one has wanted um, for the last month or so. I've I've uh, talked about this upcoming message and, and just said over and over again, I just feel like we need to talk on Sunday morning about same-sex attraction for all kinds of reasons. I had no idea what to call this message. You know, a title worded one way would energize some folks and alienate others. Worded another way, it would have people drawing conclusions that weren't necessarily consistent with Scripture before we ever even started. And I didn't want that either. Finally, on Thursday of this week, I landed on this title because I think it's true. I think if you're a follower of Jesus, I think you want to know how to make sense of the seismic shift that's happened in our culture in the last few months. If you're a member of the LGBT, oh boy, um, I just got one of those warnings on my tablet that said, I'm going to shut you down. So that would be a bad thing today, especially If, if so. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is a conversation you want to have. If you're a member of the LGBT community, you're thinking you're you're probably thinking it's about the it's about time the church stopped marginalizing you. And if you're just confused about the whole issue, you just want some things to think about, and not have people shouting at you, right? It's the conversation everybody wants to have. And if you're conservative and modest and straight, you have. No desire to have this conversation, right? It seems weird and wrong to talk about it in church. If you're LGB or T and don't like conflict, you're scared to death right now. Is North Point going to take an anti-gay stance that makes it a place that you're not welcome at in the future? Isn't it easier to just avoid the issue, just keep going the way it's been, If you take pride in in having a thoughtful, logical mind, being a thoughtful, logical person, you're probably thinking, he's going to try and bring clarity to this issue in 30 or 40 minutes. Please, somebody help him. No one wants to talk about this. Can't we ignore it and it just go away? It was a little over 20 years ago that I was on a work mission trip with about 15 teens, teens from the church where I served when one of the teens handed me a note with two words on it. It was, it was scribbled. You could, you could sense the tension in the writing because the two words said, I'm gay. It was the first time he verbalized that reality to anyone other than himself. Just a few years later, a member of my family came out while away at college. Several of my former students at Ozark Christian College, students I taught that I traveled with, that I worked closely with, have since become a part of the LGBT community. I'm not alone in having close friendships and family members who carry the rainbow banner proudly. The reason I say that is not to say that I understand every aspect of that culture, but because I know there are people here who are here this morning who may be saying, yeah, I know you need to talk about this, Rick, because it's something that we're going to have to deal with as a church sometime in the future. I want to be real clear this morning. This this is not an issue in the future. It's an issue in the here and now for us. It's an issue that many people who are part of North Point have been dealing with quietly for years. There are many people here today with sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, moms and dads, friends, co-workers and extended family members who are lesbian, gay, bi and transgender There are a number of people on both sides of the issue that are here this morning and listening to this on the or listening to this on the Internet or on a CD that are anxiously waiting to see what I'm going to say, because it may determine whether they feel North Point is a place where they can worship God and grow spiritually or not. I'm praying that when the message is done, that you'll sense that it is that we will continue to be a safe place to come and know God a place where you can become a fully devoted follower of Jesus, a disciple of the one who came to earth and died for us. If you don't have any relationships, even casual relationships, with anyone in the LGBT community, please believe me when I say that you will in the future, especially if you're serious about following Jesus. I want today's message to start a dialogue, a conversation, not an argument, not simply a statement of opinion, but a conversation that ultimately keeps us coming back to Jesus. That's my desire. Let's let's pray. Um, God, you know what's going on right now. You know um, the anxiety that's there, you know, the people who are are just waiting to see what happens. Lord, I ask that you would give me words, that you would speak those words, that you would uh, let your spirit provide the tone for those words as they come out. God, I ask that you'd be with each person who hears my voice, everybody who's here, everybody who's listening. God, that you would work in their ears, in their hearts, that they would hear you speak. God, that you would connect the dots that you want connected and that you would prevent dots from being connected that are not intended to be. God, we, just, we ask that you would talk to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's what I want to do this morning. Uh, Today's message doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles, not a lot of fun stories or jokes or any of that stuff. It's, It's really just pretty kind of direct and straightforward. I want to do three things. Uh, one is I want to review last week's message. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to get a copy of the CD to go to the Internet and download it and, um, and just kind of process last week's message because it's foundational for today. The second thing I want to do is to just simply look at what the Bible says about same-sex relationships and, and um, spend some time doing that. And third, I want, um, I want us to think about how we as followers of Jesus should respond to this issue in our everyday lives. Those, those three things, that's where I'm going. So the first thing is this. How do we, uh, it's a review of last week's message. I, I didn't have this on screen. I've got it on screen today. How do we determine right from wrong in our lives? How do we do that? What are some ways that that happens? I gave you four, um, four filters, if you will, four ways that people make decisions about what's right and wrong in their lives. And, um, and uh, I just want to review those. The first is me. That I decide what's right and wrong in my life. I think that that's pretty actually common in our culture. We say, you know what? I'm the one who gets to choose what's right and wrong for me. What's right and wrong behavior. So that's the me issue. It's based on my feelings, how I feel about an issue. Oh, well, I think that that's good. I think that that's bad. Or it's based on my logic. Oh, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me, right? So me is the first filter. The second filter is um, is we. It's the sense of, okay, what's commonly accepted by our culture? What's everybody else ar- around think? What's the plurality of people think? Because if they all think the same thing, they can't be wrong, can they? The crazy thing about that, as I was thinking about it this week, is that our culture shifts oftentimes based on a media campaign or based on a one time event. That an event happens and, and the, and the the um, tide turns. The culture changes what's appropriate or what's inappropriate based on that event. Best example of that right now is the shooting by Dylan Roof of the of the people in South Carolina, the Af- at the African American church. Right, that happened and it and it crystallized things and changed our culture in one. Um, if I can say this in one way that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me, as a result of that event, the Confederate flag is now anathema. Right. You're not allowed to carry the American, the Confederate flag. You're not allowed to carry the Confederate flag. It's um, regardless of what you thought before, because of what happened with Dylan Roof, the the Confederate flag's evil. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I just want to point out that because of that one event, culture has shifted. You understand that? Culture is the is the we they is the third way that we determine right from wrong. It's somebody of people. It might be the media. It might be the courts. It might be the church. We accept what's right or wrong based on what others say. They hand it down to us. It's that they sense. And the fourth is he and that he is God. That fourth filter for determining what's right and wrong is based on the idea that we just sang about that God is eternal, that God is the one who created us. He's the one who made us. And as the creator of the universe, he has the absolute right to say this is right and this is wrong. Those four areas are are how we make sense of the world around us. Those four areas um, are what we use to determine what's right and wrong. Um, so that's just kind of quick review of one aspect of last week. I'm going to touch on a couple more things later, um, but that leads then to the question, what does the Bible say about same sex behavior? You hear lots of stuff in the media. You hear different people say different things. I want to go to five passages that are probably the most clear passages in scripture about same sex behavior. Um, there, There's, there's uh, Clarity in each of these passages that what they're talking about is a physical, sexual relationship between two men or, in the case of Romans, between two women. Um, Leviticus 18, verse 22 says this. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. The New American Standard Version the King James, the Amplified, all use that word abomination. The, the, the New International uses the word detestable. It's a detestable thing. I, I thought, I wonder what the children's version of the Bible says. <laughs> and it says it's a hated sin. Okay. There's, there's clarity in Leviticus 18 that, that same-sex behavior, same-sex behavior, is an abomination. Leviticus 20 says uh, something similar. It says, If a man lies w- with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. That teaching from, Mo- from Moses was in a um, theocracy. It was, it was in a God-ruled culture. And God said, You know what? That behavior, that, that behavior there, there are st- strong consequences for it. Don't want to tolerate it in this culture. An abomination is uh, what it's used. The Amplified says, both men have committed an offense, something perverse, unnatural, abhorrent, detestable. That's what that word in the Hebrew means. If you skip to Romans chapter 1 and you think about the culture in Rome, when Paul wrote to the church in Rome, it was a culture that had all kinds of sexual promiscuity. All kinds of things were going on sexually there. And and Paul writes to the church and he says, look at this, understand this. God's nature is evident to everybody. God, through his creation, has explained himself to the world. You can see who God is by the world around us. And it, it says, claiming to be wise, people became fools. They exchanged the glory of God for an image of God. They exchanged the real thing for a fake, for a facsimile, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature instead of the creation. And then in verse 26 it says this: For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions because they traded away who God was. For their women exchanged natural relationships or natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Romans, clear teaching about same-sex behavior. 1 Timothy 1, Paul writes to Timothy and says, The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Um, Paul's writing to Timothy was clear that homosexual behavior was was outside of God's law. And Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he gives some hope. He says, and such were some of you. Some of you have come out of that past. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Paul says, we get this. Jesus has the ability to come in and change who we were and to make us new creatures. You know, if, if you're having a conversation with somebody who believes in God, that's a part of the LGBT community. They would say about these scriptures, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but after reading, I think that this is this is uh, pretty consistent with with their thinking. They would say, um, you know, those verses aren't talking about homosexual relationship in our current culture. It's not talking about a committed monogamous relationship. They're talking about rape. They're talking about those verses are about orgies. They're talking about the Mosaic law that no longer applies They're talking about lustful relationships. They're talking about what took place in pagan fertility rites. They're talking about dirty old men. I think that those applications can be made to the writings of Paul and Moses. But what they taught was not a specific application, but instead an overriding principle about homosexual acts. There were other words that Paul and Moses could have used in the Greek and Hebrew that would have been used to describe those things that I just mentioned. Those are not the words that Paul or Moses chose. The bottom line, the Bible describes homosexual behavior as sin, as missing the mark, as sin, it separates us from God, as sin, Homosexuality, though, is no different than any other sin. Let's look again at those three passages from the New Testament. 1 Corinthians, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, and the word there is the word that the King James translated fornicator, fornication, fornication. What it describes is people who have sex that aren't married to each other. It describes physical sexual relationship outside the boundaries of marriage. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, people who worship things other than God, nor adulterers, anybody who's married but has a sexual relationship outside of the confines of their marriage relationship with their husband or wife nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, people who cheat and swindle others, nor the greedy, covetous or greedy graspers. The, the, the word means uh, somebody who sees something and says, I want that, I deserve that, I'm going to have that. That's the concept that's there. Nor drunkards. The word drunkard there describes somebody who's intoxicated. Intoxicated. It's not a word for mean drunks, for stupid drunks, for perpetual drunks, for alcoholic drunks. It's the word that means drunk. Nor revilers, people who slander, who speak abusively of other people. Nor swindlers, people who cheat other people, who extort and rob. None of them will, ex- will inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes to Timothy and says, The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient. The word there means rebellious. For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. The word for profane means irreverent. For those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral, the impure, for men who practice homosexuality, for enslavers, people who kidnap, who are slave traders, for liars, people who don't tell the truth, for perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. To the church in Rome, Paul Paul says, um, these people that God gave over to their, to their passions, that where we talked about the homosexual behavior, it says that they didn't see fit to acknowledge God and God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice or hatred. They are full of envy, murder, strife, Deceit, maliciousness, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, which means rude and having an arrogant lack of respect for other people, haughty, which means to be proud or arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. If you're a follower of Jesus, you may have been feeling pretty good about yourself because you're married to your spouse and you haven't fooled around on them. How do you feel after reading those lists again? Envy? You want what other people have and think you deserve it too? Guilty. Proud? Arrogant? Guilty. Liar? Guilty. Gossip? Guilty. Drunk? Guilty. Plan evil for people who've hurt you? Guilty. Foolish? Guilty. Disobedient to your parents? Guilty. So what's the Bible say about homosexuality? It's no different than any other sin. It separates us from God. And Paul says to the church in Corinth, and such were some of you, but you've been washed, sanctified, justified in the name of Jesus. So what's the Bible say about same-sex behavior? It's sin. It separates us from God, just like all those other things. What's the Bible teach about same-sex attraction? I think that there's a difference between attraction and behavior. The the Bible's clear that same-sex behavior is sin. It's not what God intended. It misses the mark. But I'd submit that there's an attractiveness to all sin. I had a friend once who said... um, If you don't think sin brings pleasure, you don't know the right sins, Um, you know, because there's pleasure in sin for a season. But when it's full blown, it brings forth death. James says. Losing my temper, losing my temper is very attractive to me. I have an urge to get revenge when someone wrongs me. Most men would say that if you take away the constraints of God's laws and a relationship of trust with their wife, they would not be monogamous. Paul writes about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. If they go unchecked, they will always lead to sin. James, the half-brother half of Jesus, said it this way. James chapter 1, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own Desire. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So, if you're dealing with same sex attraction, what do you do? At every turn, you do everything that you can to keep that desire in check. You fight it when Satan says, Did God really say homosexuality is wrong? You put checks in your life to keep yourself from falling into temptation the same way every heterosexual man or woman does. James says later in his letter, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If that's where you are, if you're you're dealing with same-sex attraction, you may be thinking, wait a second. I have these desires and you're telling me that Scripture tells me not to act on those desires? If you're thinking that, I think it's the Holy Spirit that may be the one who's telling you not to act on them. Understand that those desires are no different um, than every heterosexual person who's a follower of Jesus that hasn't found the right person to marry or someone who finds themselves single as a result of death or divorce and doesn't give in to sexual temptation. Let me take one more step down the road if I can. If that's where you are, your next question is likely... If I'm not supposed to act on that desire, why did God give it to me? That's a great question. And my understanding of God, admittedly, is really tiny. But I think that there are two different aspects to, to the, as a response to that question. One is that we live in a broken world. When Satan said to Eve, did God really say you were free to eat of every tree in the garden? And she and Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that God had expressly forbidden, at that moment, everything changed. It was irrevocably broken, and the result of sin damaged everything. Death entered the world. Disease entered the world. Babies began to die. People were born with physical limitations and handicaps. And we're all born with this propensity to sin that's devastating, regardless of our sexual orientation. Let me illustrate it this way. I'm the grandson of an alcoholic and workaholic. I have a predisposition for compulsive behavior. I don't know if it's genetic or environmental, but I know that it's present in my siblings And it's present in my cousins. I first recognized that compulsion in me when I was a teenager. It showed up academically. It showed up athletically. It showed up in entertainment. It showed up in food. It showed up in work. It showed up in every aspect of my life. I believe if I were to begin to drink alcohol or gamble, the distance for me from sobriety to addiction would be very short. Did God create that compulsive activity, that compulsive behavior in me? Was it nature or nurture? I don't, I don't have any idea, but I've got to create safeguards in myself to keep that from spiraling out of control. You may be saying, I don't buy it. I'm not doing it. That's your prerogative, but understand that it takes us back to my very first thoughts. Who decides what's right or wrong? Me, we, they, or he. If God made us, if God made us, sorry about that, Um, if God made us, his voice is the only one that matters. The only one He's the only one with authority to make the call. So that really kind of takes us to the third area. How do we, how do we live in a culture that doesn't reflect what God designed? How do, how do we live right now, given the current state of things? First is, I think that we've got to recognize that we live in a pluralistic society. We do not live in a theocracy. We need to pray for our leaders. God may even call some to run for public office, but understand this. The law will not change people's hearts. Only Jesus can do that. Our response in relating to a person with same-sex relationship is no different than it is with someone with any other sin. They're made in the image of God, and so are we. They're in need of redemption, and so are we. Without Jesus, they have no hope, and neither do we. So, the challenge is to build authentic relationships. Build authentic relationships. Do your best to understand where where your LGBT friends or family members are coming from. Laugh with them. Cry with them. Have them over for dinner. Be a genuine friend, not someone who waves when they pull in their driveway and never says another word. If you're just an acquaintance, you will never have the opportunity to have a conversation about stuff that matters eternally, namely, Jesus. Fourth, have have conversations, not arguments. Please, stop with the Facebook posts and the attitude that says, this is what I believe, and if you don't like it, unfriend me. That is so unlike Jesus. Trying to win arguments without a relationship rarely works because logic doesn't change behavior. Jesus did confront. Jesus did get up all in the mug of people who were caught in in sinful lifestyles, but it was with religious leaders who were living hypocritically that he did that. And it didn't change their behavior. The people who were far from God Jesus loved, he ate with, he hung out with, and they gave their lives to him. A prostitute, a tax collector, a soldier, a woman whose body was ravaged by disease. You know, I I haven't said anything at all about same-sex marriage this morning, mostly because this message was being formulated long before the Obergefell decision was handed down. Our culture has made what the Bible calls sin legal. It's not the first time, and it won't be the last. Decades ago, we shifted. We shifted from law based on Scripture to law based on man. We moved from he determining what was right and wrong to some combination of we and they determining what's right and wrong. There's an even greater danger, and I think Satan's greater tool is, is me determining what's right and wrong. If I, de- I, I want to determine what, will, um, if, what it will take to get to heaven. I want to determine what I will or won't do. I want to be the, the, the person who chooses what's right and wrong in my life. The Bible calls that idolatry. We put ourselves in the place of God when we do that. So what do we need to do? We need to repent. We need to repent for putting our trust in the government instead of it, of God. We need to repent of putting our faith in the legal system instead of God. We need to repent. We need to repent for not taking sin seriously in our own lives. I, be- I believe one of the Uh, unintended outcomes of Obergefell is that the stakes for churches as a whole and for North Point in particular are going to be much higher. Are we going to call sin for what it is within the church, within our own lives? Are we going to be clear that you can't be a fully devoted follower of Jesus and mess around with sin for too long? We haven't challenged a follower of Jesus who gossips or lies or causes division or is arrogant with their sinfulness. Friends, we're called to hold each other accountable, to live according to the high calling of God. If someone's, having, if someone's a follower of Jesus and having an affair, it's our duty to talk to them as a fellow child of God. If someone's a follower of Jesus and bitter and unforgiving, it's our duty to talk to them as a fellow child of God because we love them and because they're missing God's best for them. We need to let the truth of God pierce our hearts and impact our behavior in every area of our lives. And we need to let the grace of God rule in our relationships with the LGBT community, with the straight community, with people in our families, with people in our neighborhoods, with people at work. Truth and grace. Truth and grace. Truth and grace. You know, the, the, the question is still is kind of out there. Um, who are we as a church? Understand, this is not about who we are as a church because we'll all mess up. It's all about who God is. He loves you no matter where you are. If you're arrogant and self-righteous, he loves you and has something better for you. If your life is a train wreck and you've made one sinful decision after another your entire life, he loves you and has something so much better for you. If you have same sex attraction, he loves you. He has something better for you. People are going to ask is North Point a welcoming place for people from the LGBT community? I hope so. I hope you think so too. I hope it's a welcoming place for people from the Latino community and from the goth community and from the alcoholic community and from the workaholic community and from the ex-con community, from the African-American community, from every community. I hope this is a place that people can come and find God. I hope that North Point is a place that will always point people to Jesus, no matter who they are, no matter where they've been, and that at the feet of Jesus, every single one of us, is transformed by the power of Jesus' resurrection, and every day we choose to live holy lives guided and led by the Holy Spirit, fueled by His power. Let's pray. God, I I feel like we've just scratched the surface. Lord, my desire is that you would take the words that I've said, the thoughts that people have um, have thought, that you would make sense of them. And that God, above all, that you would draw us to you. God, fill us with your truth and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to talk after the service, I'm going to be down front. Um, find me, find somebody if, if you've got questions if you've got questions and want to shoot them in an email um, this week, anytime in the future do that too I'd, be, I'd love to just have conversation let's stand together let's sing